You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. Well, good morning. Welcome to Sunday School. Let's open in prayer. Lord, thank you this morning for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. It is every day that we wake and acknowledge that he is God of our lives and that without you, without him, without your Holy Spirit, we would be nothing. We would be dead in our sins. And so this morning as we look into your word, Lord, might it come alive to us again as it does every time and remind us of our need for you, our love for you, and our devotion to you. Thank you for what you're doing in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's open up with, um, I would like to read chapter 4. First of all, I'd like to thank Peter for that marvelous parking lot because now I can park in the corner and get my entire week's exercise. <laughs> A thousand tons. Let me look at your arms. Whoa. Amen. God gets the glory, but we are grateful for his instruments. And Jim raked the whole thing. Yeah, there is that picture. Why didn't you, if you were here all week, Jim, why don't you kill some of the gremlins? You know, hey. Okay. Let's look at God's word this morning. Chapter 4, first, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 12, but let's start with verse 7 and read through the end of the chapter. Speaking of the treasure that we have in these earthen vessels, us. But we have, Paul says, this treasure in earthen vessels, <laughs> that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not despairing, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death works in us, but life in you. <laughs> but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke, we also believe, therefore we also we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you, for all things are for your sakes, that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal." So, <laughs> we'll, we'll get into this in just a minute here. I just realized with the music practice there, I didn't get set up here. Just take me a moment. Um, how many of you, just out of curiosity, and no, not to embarrass anybody, but during the week, do you spend a little time in 2 Corinthians? Okay. Yeah, tentatively. It's, there's no, no penalty if you don't, you know. Um, I do. I do, I do. <laughs> um, as I was looking at this this week 
and uh, last week also. And messing with the sound display, the, the display here that just fouled things up, I was noticing a lot of what the sound, a lot of what the um, commentators are saying about Paul, and about the fact that this is much, this is very much of a a window into his soul, and and yet I take a little bit of issue with the ones that say that there's no doctrine. There's plenty of doctrine in Second Corinthians, but it's a doctrine that comes born of a man opening his heart and his soul to us to see how God has worked in his life through the difficulties. Now, is anybody in here facing any difficulties? Just maybe one or two. Yeah, yeah. How many hands? You only have two hands. I'm sorry, you only have two hands. But um, this section will be for you. It'll be helpful. Um, we're going to look at, we're going to start back in verse 11. I've been gone a couple weeks, so... Uh, I'm going to try and get to where I was without too much ado here. For we who live, Paul says, are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our flesh. And I mentioned that more than anything, the patient enduring of tribulation while maintaining a love and concern for others communicates the Lord Jesus Christ to the world more powerfully than anything except Scripture. Um... People who endure the tribulations of the world that the world brings to them, both from others and from circumstances with equanimity and calmness, manifest the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was the standard bearer for walking through this life filled with difficulties, filled with hardships, and coming out a conqueror. And because of that, we can be more than conquerors. So it was Christ's life that is manifest in us because of his death because of his death. So verse 12 says, So, death works in us, but life in you. In char it's characteristic, or so at least it should be, of pastors and shepherds and teachers of biblical truth that they are willing to be poured out and used for the blessing of the church. If you have, if you're going to a church where the, the, the leadership, if you will, I, I hesitate to use it that way, but the leadership is not invested in making the lives of the believers more rich because of the word of God, you need to find out why. It is, it is the responsibility of the teachers and the expositors of the word of God to first to live it, but to bring it to the body so that the, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ works in the believers in a body. This is not to say that there should be... Um, there should be some substance of the faithful pastor teacher in the Christian church, but when push comes to shove, it should be the shepherds that take the hit for the flock as much as possible when you're talking about the difficulties that can come. Shepherds should be willing to stand in between the body and the difficulties of the world as much as the Lord will allow. <clears throat> so death worked in Paul and the other apostles so that they could bring life to the world. Paul, <clears throat> we'll talk about this more as we go on, but his... His life was difficult. His, he had physical ailments. He had people trying to kill him at every hand. And he had Satan working against him. His flesh worked against him. <clears throat> but he was a conqueror because he maintained his faith in Christ by the blessing of the Holy Spirit. And he spent time studying the scripture to bring it to the believers in Corinth, in Galatia, in Ephesus, and all the churches that he worked in. So he says pointedly, 
to you, the Corinthians, he loved so much. So death works in us, he says, in us, Paul, Timothy, the other apostles that were taking the word of God to the, to the known world. But he says, you, life works in you, in the Corinthian church. This is no indictment of the Corinthians in the way that Paul did in chapter 4 of the first epistle, where he ironically contrasted his condition with that of the fickle, arrogant, and proud Corinthians. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8 through 10, he said, differently than here, you are already filled. He's, this is um, sarcasm, irony, and an indictment of the Corinthians. He says, you are already filled. You've already become rich. You've become kings without us, and indeed I wish that you had become kings so that we might reign with you. For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all as men condemned to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are prudent in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are without honor. No, here he is pouring out his heart of love to a church that he would die for. He's not castigating, but teaching. He would, communicate to, he would communicate to the believers at Corinth here that he was glad to pour out his life for them. This is different than in 1 Corinthians, where he was charging them with some of the things they were doing to one another and calling them to account. Here, he's pouring out his heart of love to them. <clears throat> this should have been an example to them, and indeed, it should be an example to the church today. But interestingly enough, this church apparently took some of it to heart and began to practice it, because they're not spoken of again until 95 AD, uh, nearly 40 years later, in, in one of the other epistles of the, of the uh, church fathers, but not the apostles. The televangelists and the false shepherds of today bring a message that enriches them. And in my mind, they are doubly damned, because not only are they refusing to live for the sheep, they're living on the backs of the sheep. They're living at the expense of the sheep, both financially spiritually, emotionally, and mentally. So death works in us, Paul says, so that, but life in you. The life of Christ comes through the word of God, through the lives of those who live it and, go, and infuses into the church. Not in some metaphysical strange way, but at the hands of the Holy Spirit of God who indwells every believer here and brings the word of God into your life. And Has it changed your life? Even just a little? If you're a brand new believer, it's already changed your life miraculously, immeasurably. But as we go through life and we're confronted with the things that God wants us to change, and he gives us the power to change them, your life changes for the better again, step by step. Grace to grace, the scripture says. But having the same spirit of faith in verse 13, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, Paul says, therefore we also speak. Paul here quotes Psalm 116, verse 10. I believed when I said, I am greatly afflicted. And he quotes it in the same spirit, which may be what he is referencing here. He fully trusts God, and even though he struggles in the world with the persecutions he's mentioned above and in the, uh, in the earlier chapters, he believes, and therefore he speaks. Is that a challenge to us? Do we believe? Therefore, what? We should keep our mouth shut. We don't want to stir the pot. We believe, therefore, we should speak. Paul says, I believe, therefore, I speak. It is also likely, as Paul has often wanted to do, that he is referring here to the Holy Spirit who sustains him and everything. The entire psalm reference, verse chapter uh, 
Psalm 116, you might read it if you get a chance this week, was a song to the Lord who delivers from the greatest extremities. It is appropriate that Paul would quote the psalm. But the point is that the deliverance or not, whether there's deliverance or not, David and Paul would continue to speak of the glories of the Lord of heaven. Any comments or questions about those two verses? Kind of got off to a rocky start there. We'll catch up. Verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Now, this is very important. I'm not going to say this is the most important verse in this chapter, but it's a very important one. What's Christ going to do to you no matter what happens to you? He's going to raise you from the dead. And when he does that, what's he going to give you? That Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15. A new body. An unbroken body. A perfectly functioning body. One that doesn't wake up with the aches and pains. <laughs> he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Here is the, the reason why Paul then and we today can continue to speak the truth no matter the opposition, no matter the outcome. Those two words are important, no matter the opposition and no matter the outcome whatever the opposition results in. First, the word of God is true. Yes or no? Amen. Second, we believe as Paul did, and we will speak compassionately but truthfully. Compassionately but truthfully. So many times we mistake compassion with holding back on the truth. It is never compassionate to condemn someone to a meaningless, terrifying existence and to hell beyond because we're afraid to speak the truth. Now, how we speak that truth is critical. If it comes flaming from our mouths and singes all their hair off, that's not what I'm talking about. But if it comes from a heart of care and concern as the Lord cares for them, there's restoration at hand. There can be restoration at hand. And third, so first, the word of God is true. Second, we believe as Paul did, and we will speak compassionately but truthfully. And third, and most pointedly, when all is said and done, and the gates of hell have attempted to prevail against the church, God will raise believers again to eternal glory. Period. End of question. He will. And these men knew that. And all through church history, they've known that. That's why they were willing to be burned at stakes and impaled and fed to wild beasts. Because they knew that their work would procure for them in heaven, not their work it's going to procure salvation, but it would result in, in glory, which they would then present to the Lord Jesus Christ. God will raise believers again to eternal glory. Paul put his life on the line to bring the gospel to the Corinthians and to other churches. He would continue doing that, knowing that Christ would raise him from the dead and present him blameless with the Corinthians to the Father, as it says in Jude. Verse 15, and then we'll talk about them if you have any questions. For all things are for your sakes so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Paul was always concerned about the glory of God. Not whether he would be remembered. He is remembered. It is those, it is, it is those who are the least concerned about the, their future glory that will be remembered the most. Because their desire is to give glory to God. 
and their only desire. Paul's true design was not just for the salvation of the Corinthians and other believers who would trust Christ through his message. His great desire was that more and more voices would be added to the growing chorus who would praise God for all eternity. The grace that brought the gospel through Paul and the other apostles was spreading to more and more people throughout the Roman Empire and indeed the world. The thanks that would result from this would be a global, if you will, psalm of praise to God. Now, I don't know how many people have been saved since the dawn of time 6,000 years ago, but it's a bunch. And if you've heard a hallelujah chorus here that stirred your heart and sent goose pimples all the way to your big toe, it's going to be really different in heaven. I can't imagine what it's going to be like to stand and praise God with all the believers who've ever existed. That's going to be something. Any questions or comments about those two verses? Yes. It does. It gives glory to God. When we, She's talking about when we go through difficulties and come out by God's grace positively, it gives glory to God. It does give glory to God because it shows that he's the sustainer of those who trust in him through all difficulties, through all trials. And it, it, you can't begin to imagine the ripple effect that that has when your life is a testimony to the goodness of God no matter what happens into it, and it spreads out. And people see that. A lot of people don't say anything. They just they watch and they go, that's different. I wonder how she did that. I've never been able to do that. Why was she able to do that? And those questions may begin to stir that heart as God brings faith into that person's life and regenerates them, changes their minds, changes their hearts so that they can, they can see, see, see Christ and trust him. It does give extra strength. Not while you're going through it, it seems like, but even while you're going through it. It may not seem like it, but who gets you through it? Cheat Wheaties? No. God gets you through it every time. And, and it's important, it's important for us to follow Paul's example here and always give the glory to God in such a, in such a way that it really does give the glory to God. <laughs> there's, a, there's a false humility that just really stinks. Yes. If he didn't love you, you would be ignored. Yeah. He loves us. He cares for us. Yes, Peter. Yeah. Amen. And I don't, I don't want to oversell this. Maybe you can't oversell this. I'll just say it. What does Paul do when he's going through these difficulties? Does he look inward and say, oh, woe is me? He looks for more ways to serve others. When they're trying to kill him, he only left town because he, he you know, to, be, to depart and be with Christ is, more, is better, but I need to be here for you. He, when they left, even I think when they led him over the, in a basket over the wall of Jerusalem, it was so that he could continue to be used by the Lord. That's what his desire was, was to spread more and more of the gospel. Not so he wouldn't get killed. He, he truly believed that Christ was coming, that Christ might be there before he, um, he died. And we need to, that's an okay thing to believe, by the way. <laughs> it's not false doctrine to think, to believe that Christ could come. God can fulfill the promises that are necessary to facilitate his second coming all by himself as quickly as he wants. He doesn't need any help from us. So Paul anticipated the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. But whether he came or not, he was going to be about the business of doing God's work so that he could lay it at Jesus' feet here or there. One of the two. We're going to keep short accounts. Yeah, yeah very short accounts. We don't keep, I, well, okay, I'm not going to go there today. 
I've got a ledger book that's got 700 pages in it. But therefore, therefore, in, my, in mind of all of this, in mind of all of this, the Lord Jesus will raise us. And the things are for your sakes. The difficulties that are coming are for your sakes. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Our outer, though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Okay, to lose heart. Here, here, the same as in verse 1 of this chapter, means to give in to evil, to succumb to cowardice. Paul, using the literary plural, we, referring to himself, but using the literary plural, again declares to the Corinthians that even though he has gone through the great difficulties he has to bring the gospel to them and to other churches, he does not give in to the difficulties or the evil or the call to abandon his work that may come in a time of weakness. We've all been there. What good am I, what am I doing? What good am I really doing? Is, what's this for? We've all been there because of the weakness, because of clay, feet of clay. Paul has been there. He says we are persecuted, we're distressed, we're perplexed, but we're not, never cast down, we're never forsaken. He's gone through great difficulties to bring the gospel to them and to the other church. He doesn't give in to the difficulties or the evil or the call to abandon his work, which may come at a time of weakness. His outer man, or his body, is slowly succumbing to the difficulties and the travails of travel, beatings, lack of sleep, and those kinds of things that are really hard on us. Wrong kind of food. I don't... Paul was a guy, so he probably didn't take the care he should have with his diet. I'm wondering if after he flung that serpent off, if he didn't go ahead and eat it. You know, that's, that's, that's not scriptural. That's just, but <laughs> he was a guy. He didn't take care of himself, I'm guessing. Now, this is just my surmising. But he probably took enough care of himself, obviously, to make it to being killed by Nero. But he, he, um, he was more concerned about spreading the gospel more concerned about getting the word of God out to the people. His inner man, however, though his outer man was decaying, he was beat, he was stoned, he had shipwreck, um, the serpent biting him, I'm, all of those kinds of things, and other things that come when you don't take as good a care of yourself as you should. He said his inner man was being renewed every day by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that is not advocating you not to take care of yourself. Okay, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that in the midst of that, his inner man was being renewed as he focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. If anyone, and let's just kind of, go, I'm going to go over a little litany here. If anyone could speak to difficulties, it was the Apostle Paul. And he did so by words earlier in this epistle, but he also did so by living for Christ in a time when that kind of living could mean death. Upon conversion, he immediately began to proclaim Christ, and the Jews immediately began plotting to kill him. At this time, he was let down over the wall in Jerusalem and in a large basket at night to escape that plot to kill him. Later in Pisidian Antioch, the Jewish leaders saw the crowds that Paul was speaking to, and they incited the local bigwigs who then drove Paul and Barnabas out of the area. And Iconium, at Iconium, the Jews there lied to the Gentiles and stirred them up against the brethren, some siding with the Jews and some with the apostles. They had to flee to Lyconia, to Lystra, and to Derbe. In Lystra, Jews came from Antioch. They followed him. We're going to get this guy. They followed him from Antioch and Iconium and stoned Paul with the crowds he won over and dragged him out of the city. They left him for dead. <laughs> he was supposed to be dead, but then he got up and entered the city again. 
In Philippi, he was beaten and imprisoned. His preaching in Thessalonica made the Jews cause an uproar, forcing him to leave the city for Berea. Then they followed him to Berea upon hearing he was preaching the word of God, and they stirred up opposition there. At this point in Corinth, upon Paul testifying to the Jews about Jesus being the Christ, they resisted and blasphemed. This is where he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles in Acts chapter 18. In Ephesus, he came into conflict with the producers of silver goddess statues. He was influencing so many to convert that their trade was suffering, so they provoked a riot. Heading back to Palestine, Paul had to change his plans when he was made aware of another plot to kill him by the Jews. In Jerusalem, the Jews from Asia Minor recognized him and stirred up the crowd so that it took a squad of Roman soldiers to save him from being beaten to death by the mob. Even after they took him into custody, the Jews still sought to kill him. He was in Roman custody for two years when he, was when he appealed to Caesar, traveled to Rome. He suffered shipwreck. He was released and then rearrested at this time, and all of his friends forsook him. Have you ever had friends forsake you? People that you thought had your back, and they turned their backs on you. He named some of them. In 2 Timothy first chapter 1, verse 15, he says, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygellus and Hermogenes. 2 Timothy 4. 14 through 16. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself. He vigorously opposed, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. It is in this context of all of these things that Paul had gone through, especially up to this time, some of them later, but up to this time as well, that the life of the Apostle Paul is a sterling example to us of how to endure through difficulties. He knew that God would either deliver him from the difficulties in this life or take him to be with Christ in eternity. In either eventuality, Paul was content. Whether he delivers me so I can preach the gospel some more or the Jews kill me and I go to be with him, he would be content. That's our example. Any questions or comments? Does your shepherd have a deep concern for the church or for his wardrobe for next week? Does he have a deep desire to see the believers grow, mature, or is he more concerned about FaceTime on TV? I, we live in an interesting time when the, the call to serve has never been more clear. I think it's clear all through the ages, and we say this in our time, that the call to serve has never been more clear, but it's also never been more befuddled by the world's call to abandon the body. Now, this next section, we're going to finish up here. I just want to, I'm, on a, I'm going to give a little pre, a little statement ahead of time. I am not making light of the afflictions that we go through when we go through this section, these last two verses in this chapter. For, Paul says, momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Stonings, beatings, shipwreck, serpents, plots to kill, and final death at the hands of the Roman authorities. Light affliction. He calls that a light affliction. I'm just ashamed. <laughs> he is making a comparison. 
I looked for a timeline, something on the internet that I could cheat with, and I couldn't find anything. The comparison of our life, even to, to fake geologic time, but I couldn't, I never came up with anything I was happy, happy with. But we're going to talk about that. That's exactly what he's doing. It's exactly what he's doing. Paul had, of course, a thoroughly biblical, if not difficult, perspective regarding suffering. The suffering that is experienced here in this life, compared to the unbelievable glories awaiting, is negligible. Though it seems horrific at the time, and indeed, I don't want to minimize the suffering that some people go through. The comparison is what Paul is speaking to here. In a bit lengthy but effective bit of prose, um, Charles Hodge puts it this way in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. He says, this is the reason why we faint not. Our afflictions are light, they are momentary, and they secure eternal glory. Everything depends upon the standard of judgment. Viewed absolutely or in comparison with the sufferings of other men, Paul's afflictions were exceedingly great. He was poor, often without food or clothing. His body was weak and sickly. He was homeless. He was beset by cruel enemies. He was repeatedly scourged. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was shipwrecked, robbed, not counted, and counted as the off-scouring of the earth. <coughs> he was beyond measure harassed by anxieties and cares and by the opposition of false teachers and the corruption of the churches which he had planted at such expense of time and labor. Looking at 1 Corinthians 4, 9-13 and 2 Corinthians 11, 23-29, which is what Brian quoted. These afflictions in themselves and as they affected Paul's consciousness were exceedingly great. For he says himself, he was pressed out of measure, above strength, so that he despaired even of life, in chapter 1, verse 8. He did not regard these afflictions as trifles, nor did he bear them with stoical indifference. He felt their full force and pressure. When five times scourged by the Jews and thrice beaten with rods, his physical torture was as keen as that which any other man would have suffered under similar inflictions. He was not insensible to hunger and thirst and cold and contempt and ingratitude. His afflictions were not light in the sense of giving little pain. The Bible does not teach either by precept or example that Christians are to bear pain as though it were not pain, or bereavements as though they cause no sorrow. Unless afflictions prove real sorrows, they will not produce the fruits of sorrow. It was only by bringing these sufferings into comparison with eternal glory that they dwindled into insignificance. So also, when the apostle says that his afflictions were for a moment, it is only when compared with eternity. They were not momentary so far as this present life was concerned. They lasted from his conversion to his martyrdom. His Christian life was a protracted dying. But what is the longest life to everlasting ages? Less than a single second to threescore years. The third source of consolation to the apostle was that his afflictions would secure for him eternal glory, i.e. the eternal and inconceivable excellence and blessedness of heaven. This is all the words, and then kater gai, uh, I'll leave that alone for right now. Those words express. See them there? A spider got into some ink and wandered across my page. Those are what those words, that, that's not all. Let me get back to where I was. This is not, this is all the words express. Afflictions are the cause of eternal glory. Not the meritorious cause, but still the procuring clause. God has seen fit to reveal his purpose, not only to reward with exceeding joy the afflictions of his people, but to make those afflictions the means of working out that joy. So as you endure the difficulties of this life, God is securing for you eternal glory. 
And that is a crown, he that endures affliction, that you can gladly lay at the feet of the Savior when the time comes. So this is taught in many places throughout Scripture. In Matthew chapter 19 through 29, Jesus says this, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or, or father or mother or children or farms for my name's sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. Romans 8, 17. And if children, Paul says, you are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. And then in 2 Timothy 2, 12 and 13. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. 1 Peter 1, 6. In this, the difficulties, you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. 1 Peter 4.13, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also that the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. And then Revelation 7.14, I said to him, my Lord, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Suffering is a given on this planet. Tribulation is something that is going to happen to you. To what degree only the Lord knows. Paul has given us, and the Holy Spirit will sustain us in that time, an example of how to sustain ourselves, how to walk through it, how to walk through difficult times and come out, as Nathel said the other end, successful, positive, and give the glory to God. God deserves the glory. And then Paul says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, so much goes on unseen in this world. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Though Paul was here detailing the prescriptive attitude he had, it is clear he is communicating to the Corinthians that they need to have this attitude as well. Remember he says in Philippians, he says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He says that to the Philippians. Here, in, in a different sort of way, he's communicating that to the Corinthians. This attitude needs to be in you. The focus of Paul's life was not on the temporal. He wasn't looking for the next great yacht or whatever they had back then. <laughs> uh, clipper, I guess. He wasn't looking for a chariot. He wasn't looking for the trappings of the life at that time, of a life of, 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 rich, of richness. He was looking for communicating the gospel. The focus, um, his focus was not on the temporal things which are seen. His focus was on the eternal. That focus often gave Paul the courage to press on. He had abandoned a lifestyle to that by earthly standards was successful and gratifying. He took up the cross that Christ, Christ gave to him to found the churches and produce the scripture that would be used throughout time immemorial to draw more men to Christ. These are the things that he focused on. These are the rewards that, the rewards that would come. He endured, as we have talked about, great deprivations and many things that damaged his body and his health. He did not focus on this, but he focused on eternity and the things to come, the glory to come, the comparison of eternity to this vapor of time we call life. It is true that often we can, what we can see overshadows what we can't see. What Scripture is telling us, though, is that is what is unseen is essentially more real than what is seen. This is not to be taken to some metaphysical conclusion that matter does not exist and only the spiritual exists, as many have done. The Greeks did that, and in the modern day, the spiritualists do it, the Christian science and things like that. 
for clearly we exist. We were created by God in bodies, but these bodies are temporary. The time frame, this time frame is temporary. The earth is temporary, and fortunately, especially for those who have been through great difficulty, suffering is temporary. Now, it may seem permanent when it's happening, but it's not. As we can look past the things that are temporal and into the great infinite beyond to what is timeless, the Lord and the joys of heaven, we are able to put into perspective this short vapor we call life. So Paul starts this chapter reminding the Corinthians that they have a ministry in common with Paul and all of those who have been chosen by Christ. That ministry includes a renunciation of the shameful things of the past and a recognizing that the gospel is the only thing by the grace of God that can take the blinders off of the eyes of those who have been trapped in unbelieving by their own pride and by Satan, the God of this world. God has vouchsafed the gospel to the world in and through the lives of believers. Jars of clay. Plain, dusty, and sometimes broken people who have been given the glorious light of the gospel and they cannot keep it contained. They have believed and so they spoke. Paul was afflicted, but not crushed. He was perplexed, but never despaired. He was persecuted, but not forsaken, and struck down, but never destroyed. He carried the dying of Christ, as do all Christians, so that the life of Christ may be manifested in and through them. The truth is so strong in the hearts of those who follow Christ and the fact that Christ rose from the dead, guaranteeing our resurrection, this energized Paul and it energizes every believer since. I don't mean that in a, in, again, some sort of a metaphysical, metaphysical way. It's the Holy Spirit working in your life, making the truth of the Scripture effective in your life. Thus, as the people of God focus on the eternal and not the temporal, they do not lose heart, recognizing that the brief life we have here through, though often with sorrow filled, is but a blip on the screen of eternity. The blessings that come from and during the sufferings here are far more weighty and glorious than can be imagined. And so as I said earlier, I don't want to minimize the difficulties that some of us go through here. But as Pat said, compare it to eternity and to the blessings that will come at the hands of a Savior who didn't have to do anything for us except send us to an eternal hell, and he would have been as righteous as he is today, all righteous, doing that. But he chose to choose some to give him glory for eternity. Pat. <laughs> Christians are like tea bags. They're only good if they get into a little hot water. Well, some of us should be really good. <laughs> I started hot water at four. Yeah. Any other comments or questions before we close? The Lord will not desert you. And at the time when it seems that you are the most deserted, he is the most there, if I could make that kind of a comparison. Trust his word. Trust him. He has never failed anyone. He says in Hebrews, how many times? In English, a double negative is a positive, not in Greek. It's a reinforcement. He says he will never, never Never leave you. I think there's only one set from the beginning of the end of mine, but uh, <laughs> let's pray. Father, thank you for the sufferings you bring to us because they are at the hand 
of a loving and merciful God whose only intent is to grow his children so that they might be like his son who suffered. And Lord, as we look at the life of the Apostle Paul, especially in this, in this book, in this 2 Corinthians, we see a man who was broken, who had great shame in his past, who made mistakes, but who trusted you, who believed, and who spoke. And so as we press on through 2 Corinthians, we pray that you would give us more insight into giving even more of our lives over to you daily so that we might be used by you to glorify yourself. And it is that we pray for in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and pray you'll join us again next time. Once again, thank you for listening.